Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Steve Winstead, and today we are going to be going to John's Gospel. And we are going to look at one of the key events. This is the event that caused the religious leaders to say, there is no turning back. We must, we will. The next time we see Jesus, we're going to kill him. This is the event that leads to that. We're looking at a longer passage. It's 57 verses. And part of me thought, well, maybe we could just read sections of it. But then I realized, we need to hear the whole story. We need to sit and listen. So there's some weeks we do very short passages and we dig in deep. But today we're doing a longer narrative and we're going to look at this story and how it leads us right up to the cross. You're going to hear phrases like the word death. It's a major theme in this passage today. You're going to hear it at least 13 times. You're going to hear the word believe at least nine times in this passage. So there's a lot of themes here. But I've asked Leah Wright if she would come and read all of John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. This will take about seven minutes. So if you just sort of relax, stand with us, hear the Word of God, and listen to the story. Allow God to bring you into the narrative as Leah reads it to us. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear now a reading from the Gospel of John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister Martha and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the light, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that a whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. 
Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a, call, to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all of God's people said, praise Praise be to God. God. Amen. Thank you, Leah. You may be seated, church. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your word, your word which is truth, and your word that declares that all men are like grass and all our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, God, your word stands forever. So may this be the word that is faithfully preached today, Lord. We recognize unless you speak, nothing of any eternal significance is spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, that is a longer narrative, but I think it's good to walk into this story. I I want us to sort of feel the story and sense the story and even get in our mind's eye a visual of what is happening here. We are 10 days at this point, right around 10 days before the last week of Jesus' life. And it's this event, the death and resurrection of Lazarus, that will be the event that makes Jerusalem explosive with anticipation of waiting. Is Jesus going to show up? Because if he shows up, the religious leaders will kill him. This is the event They already wanted to kill him, but this is the event that they determine we will kill Jesus. Now, in verse 1, it says, now a certain man. It quickly tells us who that certain man is, Lazarus from Bethany. But it mentions a certain man because, get this, as much as we read about Lazarus in this story, he's not the focus. It's God. It's the glory of God. It's the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Lazarus is just a person that's a part of the story, but he's not the focus. So a certain man named Lazarus from Bethany. Now in the Bible, places hold some significance. And Jesus, four times during his ministry in John's gospel, we see him go to Passover. He was a faithful Jew, and Passover is one of seven Jewish holy days or holidays where every Jew was expected to come to Jerusalem. There's seven Old Testament holy days. And three of those, all Jews were expected, required, if they are faithful, to show up in Jerusalem. Passover is the first of those. I think we've got them here on the screen. And four of them are in the spring, so this time of year. Three of them are in the fall. So Passover, here's what Passover is. They remembered when they were slaves in Egypt, God set them free by trusting in something that seemed foolish. Trust in the blood of a lamb and you'll be free. Jesus fulfills that by being the lamb of God, dying on Passover. 
The next day after Passover started a seven-day festival called Unleavened Bread. And they remembered that when we left Egypt, we didn't have time to put yeast in the bread. We had to rush off. And you see, yeast, yeast is what causes bread to rise. Without yeast, bread looks flat and it's hard. It's like a cracker. But when you have yeast in it, it gets puffy and it inflates and it becomes full of itself. That's, in Scripture, we see that yeast and leaven, often called leaven in Scripture, is a picture of sin. Because here's what sin wants to do in your life. It wants to puff you up. That you begin to think you're more important than you are. That you begin to think your opinions are more vital than they are. That you begin to think no, you know more than you really do. And you become full of yourself. It puffs you up. And Jesus... He had no sin. He had no leaven. So the festival of unleavened bread started on the day that Jesus was in the tomb, his sinless body in the tomb for us. Now the third festival, it would start on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, after Passover. So whenever Passover moved, it could be any day of the week based on the uh, lunar calendar, but first fruits was always the same, always on the first day of the week. So Jesus, the year that Jesus died, he died on a Friday, his body was in the, in the ground on a Saturday, and on Sunday, the third day, first fruits, he would rise as the first fruits of salvation. And then 50 days later, they had another harvest festival. Three of these seven festivals are about harvest. And on that one, called Pentecost, or called Shavuot, at that one, they would remember God's faithfulness to provide at the harvest. And at that, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, this small church, and we see them as the first fruits of the church where the Holy Spirit comes. So all four of these, I want you to see, Jesus fulfilled all four of these holy days. He's the fulfillment of them. The three in the fall, when Jesus returns, he will fulfill those. He hadn't fulfilled those yet. So all of these are important. So all that to say, Jesus, it's headed toward Passover when every Jewish person, when they would go to Jerusalem. So here's what God is doing. God is gathering the nation, all the Jewish people, they're all going to show up in Jerusalem to see the crucifixion of their Messiah, to see the burial of their Messiah, and on first fruits to see their Messiah rise from the dead. Jesus came first for the Jew, then to the Gentile, and it's going to be declared to the nation who he is. He's going to have all those people gathered. And here, Jesus, he stays in this town called Bethany. Now, if we've, yeah, the screen's still working. Um, so Jesus, he will stay in this small town. I've got a picture of it. This is an artist's rendition. But here's what I like about this. Bethany is about three kilometers outside the walls of Jerusalem. And anytime Jesus went to Jerusalem, he stayed in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is like his home away from home. This is his Jerusalem home base. You see, Jerusalem 
In Jesus' day, at a minimum of 20,000 people, maybe as many as 200,000. But hear this. During Passover, the city would increase by 10 times, meaning there could be as many as 2 million people in Jerusalem. It would swell. They didn't have hotels like we do here in Addis. Somebody comes to visit, we've got lots of hotels. No, you would stay with friends and people's homes would become crowded. So when Jesus went for the Holy Day festivals, he would stay at this home in Bethany. And Bethany is three kilometers outside of Jerusalem's walls. You go over the Mount of Olives, and as you start to come down, you'll see this line. You can see it today if you were to go to Jerusalem, where the greenery of Jerusalem meets the desert. And it's right there where the desert meets the green that this little village called Bethany is. Bethany's still there today. It's been a bedroom community of Jerusalem for thousands of years. And that's where Jesus would go and he would stay there with this family that he loved. And it says here in verse 4, they send him a note in verse 3. These two sisters, they're their brother is sick. They can see that he's probably going to die. They send Jesus a note. That's how close they are to Jesus. Jesus, come, heal our brother. And here Jesus says this in verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. Now, does that strike you as a bit odd? We've read the entire passage. We know Lazarus is going to die and we know that Jesus has no sin and cannot lie. So what does he mean? This illness does not lead to death. Jesus has a radically different view of death than you and I do. We fear death often. Death can be, we, we don't understand death. But Jesus knows this. For the one who trusts in, in the Old Testament, it's faith in the coming Messiah. There's some sort of Old Testament faith where you trust God. In the New Testament, it's faith in Jesus, who is the Messiah. For those who trust him, death has lost its sting. For those who trust him, death does not lead to eternal separation from God. That's the ultimate consequence of sin. Sin leads to death, and ultimate death is eternity without God Almighty. It's an eternity separated from him. Yet Jesus comes and he says, hey, Lazarus, he trusts in God. His, he's not going to die. He won't have a death that leads to eternity separated from God. No, it's merely like he's asleep. Do you know that is what death is like for the believer? It's like a mere sleep. You go to sleep and you wake up on the other side. Christ awakens you to life, life eternal. But here, death is hard. When someone dies, we grieve, we miss them. And Jesus tells us, here's the purpose of this death. Listen, or here's the purpose. He says, it is for, this is verse 4, for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What's the purpose of what's about to happen with Lazarus? It's for God's glory. That's what it's about. Brother and sister, church, I want you to know that all our pain and all our suffering 
all our difficulties. And here's one thing I know is true. Many in this room, you're in the midst of some difficult days. You're in the midst of some painful days. Some days where you're confused. God, God what are you doing? I, I don't understand. I can't see clearly. Many of you are here. Many of you are walking in the midst of that. I know that because we all have those days. We all walk in the midst of it. Yet here's what we can take assurance and hope in. That God in His goodness and in His wisdom and in His sovereignty, He works all things together for your good and for His glory. Now the challenge and what's hard is there are things in our life I go, God, how are you going to use this for your glory? I don't understand. And sometimes God doesn't let you see on this side of eternity how he's going to use something for his glory. Sometimes it's not till you meet him that you can understand. And he looks and he goes, here's how I used your pain. Here's how I used your suffering. Here's how I used your brokenness. Here's how I used those things for my glory. It's merely a grace of God that we get any glimpse of how he can use anything for his glory. And Jesus says here, this is for the glory of God. So brother and sister, as you're in the midst of trials and difficulties, they hurt, they're hard, but know God knows. He loves you. He cares. He's present. He's enough for you in the midst of the pain. He's sufficient for you in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the hurt. He is present with you even when you don't know what he's doing. So cling tightly to him and know that there's a day coming where he will show you how he will use these things for his glory. Now, verse 5, he says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus, uh, in his humanity, he loves them. Like, we'll hear of situations where people face hardship and tragedy but when we don't know them, it doesn't sting as bad. But when you know and you love somebody and you love them dearly and you see them go through a hardship, it hurts. So Jesus feels this, but look at what he does in verse 6. When he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. He doesn't rush. There's a purpose in this. This is going to be used for the glory of God and, and Jesus is going to uh, show us how that is. And his, as he goes with his disciples in the next section, he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. That's how Jesus views death. Death for the believer is a sleep. That's all it is. Many of you here, you have loved ones who trusted in the Lord in the past and know that they had a mere sleep and they woke up secure in Christ and they look at this life and they go I never want to go back they're in glory and that's beautiful and here Jesus says he's going I love Thomas's response in verse 16 he says let us go that we may die with him he's often called doubting Thomas but he's just looking at this going Jesus you get that close to Jerusalem you go to Bethany a mere three kilometers from Jerusalem they're going to kill you they already want to kill you but let's just go die. We don't understand it. 
but we're going to ride with you, Jesus. We're going to follow you into death. As they come in verse 20, now this is interesting. Look at verse 20. So when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated at the house. Now there's a famous story with Mary and Martha where Jesus shows up and Martha, Martha, the way that she loves is she serves. So she's busy serving Jesus and Mary just sits at Jesus' feet and Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha, why are you so busy? Mary's chosen the better thing, sit and rest. And we often look and say, well, Martha was just too busy and that wasn't a good thing. But here, look at this. Martha rushes to go see Jesus. And Mary just lingers behind. What I want you to see is this. Some of you, you're more like a Martha. You're busy. You like to do things. Your love language is I'm going to serve you and I'm going to do things and I'm going to be busy and that's how you operate. Praise God for you. I always love working with those who go, I'm going to do something. I'm not just going to sit here. And then there's some of you who your more natural tendency is to, I want to sit. I want to rest. I want to think. I want to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is not saying one is better than the other. What he's saying is there's a time for each of them. Martha, right now, you're being busy, but sit and be with me. And here, Mary. She doesn't rush out to see Jesus. It's Martha who goes to meet Jesus. She rushes out to see him. And she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says, but now I know whatever you ask of God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. To which she thinks like, hey, I know in the end times there's a resurrection. So he's going to rise again eventually. But Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying, no, I'm going to raise him up to life. And in verse 25, Jesus says these words. I am, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus in John's gospel has seven I am statements. This is number five. He doesn't say, I will raise you. And he doesn't say, I will give you life. No, he says, I am the resurrection. So you want to be raised? You need to be in Christ. He says, I am the life. You want to live life the way you're supposed to live life? It's in Christ. Scripture speaks of for the believer, for the person who recognizes their sin. And, and I recognize in our body that there are some of you here today that you haven't trusted Jesus. We want you to know you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. We pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you of of truth of God's word and that he will work on you and he'll show you the truth of who he is. But know this. We are all headed toward an eternity apart from God Almighty, an eternity in darkness, an eternity in death, an eternity in a place called hell. That's where we're all headed unless we are in Christ who is the resurrection who is the life. That's who he is. You want to live life? You be in Christ. And he's telling her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And look at what he says next. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, 
That's like the death falling asleep. Yet he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me, you will never die. So to those of us here today, we've recognized our sin, trusted in Christ, repented. We're what scripture calls a new creation. We're born again. If that's the reality of, of who you are, know this, you will never taste death. You will never taste the sting of death. When you die, the next thing you will know is Christ. You will see him to be absent in the body, to be present with the Lord. And then he asks one of the most important questions ever. Do you believe this? That's a question that every person must answer. Children and youth, your mom and dad can't answer it for you as much as they want to. Parents, as much as you want to answer this for your children, you can't. Co-workers, you can't answer it for other co-workers. No one can answer this for you. It's only you. Jesus looks and says, do you, do you believe I'm the Messiah? Do you believe I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you trust in me? That's something that each person must answer. In church, I pray that you have found the answer and you answer like Martha does here in verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I believe. It's a glorious, beautiful belief. And church, I pray that for each of us. I pray that you believe. You see, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Opening your Bible doesn't make you a Christian. Having family members that are a Christian don't make you a Christian. It's do you believe? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ, the Messiah? And he asked Martha that, and she says, yes, I pray that is your answer. Now in verse 29, we hear when Mary figures this out, she arises quickly, and now she runs to Jesus. She goes to, to see Jesus here. And in verse 33, look at what Jesus says. They say, if, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And in verse 33, look. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, in the Greek, that word, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, it could be translated as, he is angry. There's only two times in Scripture where it says that Jesus is angry. It's here, and it's when he heals a man with a withered hand in the synagogue, and they get mad at him for healing this man. Now Jesus, when he flips over the tables, he displays anger, but it doesn't say he's angry. This is one of two places where it says that he is angry, and the word here in the Greek has this idea. It's like a bull, a male cow with its horns, a big, huge bull, that's been caged in and he is snarling and he's snorting and he is furious and he's angry. That's how Jesus responds to their weeping and their crying and what's going on here. Why is Jesus so angry? Because he knows that he's got to face down the great enemy, the final enemy. What 1 Corinthians 
1526 says the last enemy to be abolished is death. Jesus is going to go and face death. He's got to go defeat death. And Jesus hates death. He was there at the beginning when we were created. And he knows that you and I, we're not made for death. Yet because of the fall and the implications of sin, you and I receive death. You and I receive an eternity separated from God. That's what we deserve for our sin. It hurts, it's painful, but that's what the reality of Scripture teaches. And Jesus hates death. And he's going to go and deal with death. He's going to go defeat death. And it makes him angry that what death has done to you and I. And Jesus asks, where have you laid him? They give the simple answer, come and see. And in verse 35, one of the most famous verses in the Bible for its brevity is the shortest verse in your English Bible. Jesus wept. Fully human, fully God, moved by death, seeing humanity weep over death, mourn over death, cry over death. He weeps as well. And they recognize he loved him. And again, in verse 38, look at what it says. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. To the cave, the stone they laid against him. He is deeply moved. He is angry at the consequence of death. You see, the reality is, all of our bodies remind us we're headed toward death. Those of you here today that you're in a season of life, maybe you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, you probably look at your life and go, life moves quick. Life's short. It's compared to a vapor. We don't get very long on this earth. And our bodies, we can exercise, we can eat right, but they're still falling apart. They're still getting weaker. They're still decaying. They're still, that, that's what happens to our body over time because our bodies are headed toward death. It's meant to remind you. You wake up and you look in that mirror and you go, oh, I'm getting closer to death. Few more wrinkles. Few more pains. And God in his mercy says, you're headed to death. Are you ready? Are you ready for death? Because are you, you going to say, death, where is your sting? You have no sting because of Christ. When you lay down to die, will it be like a sleep that you wake up in the presence of your Savior? How's death going to play out? We all have to confront it. We don't like to talk about it. But every single person, nobody escapes death until Jesus returns. Everybody. It's the great equalizer. Doesn't matter how rich you are. Doesn't matter how poor you are. Doesn't matter what nation you come from. Doesn't matter what language you speak. Everybody, these bodies will all die. And Jesus sees the implications of death, the ultimate implications of death, that would be eternity apart from God. And he is angry 
And he looks and goes, I'm going to go deal with it. I'm going to have to go defeat death. I'm going to have to go do something that none of us could do. None of us, because of our sin, could go and defeat death because our sin sealed our death warrant. Your sin, my sin, guaranteed us eternity apart from God, but for the grace of God in Jesus Christ who came and lived a life you could not live, who came and died a death that you deserved to reconcile you to God Almighty. Now, Jesus calls Lazarus to come out and Lazarus awakens to life. It's like he's sucked out of the tomb. He's still bound. He can't even walk and he comes out of the tomb. And it's at this that in verse 48, the religious leaders say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. Get this, the religious leaders of Jesus' day had enough proof and evidence that Jesus was the Messiah. They may have even believed he was the Messiah, but they were so holding on to this world, their power, their money, their influence, they were holding on to these things so tightly that they refused Jesus as Messiah. Instead, they decide, we're going to lose our things if Jesus keeps going, we must kill him. Because see, Rome had done this. Rome had said to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, if you keep peace among the Jews, we'll give you money. We'll give you power. We'll give you position. But if you can't keep the peace, we're going to get rid of you and replace you. They're afraid of losing their position. And how many a person, this is so tragic, how many a people hold on so tightly to this earth and the things of this earth and their power and their prestige and their position that they can't let go of it to trust the Messiah? One of them, Caiaphas, the high priest, speaks up and says, you don't know anything. It's better that one man die for the nation. And though he didn't know it, he was prophesying. It is better that Jesus die than we all die and spend an eternity apart from God. Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to go to the cross when he's on the cross. Scripture says he becomes sin. I don't understand it. He's going to take the weight of the world upon him and die in our place. And that's a glorious, amazing message that he came to save that's what he came to do. Now down in verse 55, it says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Passover is about to come. All the Jews are coming to the, uh, Jerusalem. Many went up from the country of Jerusalem before the pacified, uh, Passover to purify themselves. And they're looking for Jesus. They've heard he raised Lazarus. Is he going to show up in Jerusalem? Is he going to come? Because as soon as Jesus steps foot in Jerusalem, they're going to kill him. His death warrant is signed. They're done with Jesus. What's he going to do? Verse 57 says, The chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is the event. There's many events in Jesus' life that led to his crucifixion. But it's at the raising of Lazarus. This 
man has power over death that they say we don't want him, the religious leaders. And it's at this that many go, we believe. Because here's what we know is sure. All of us know this is true. Regardless if you believe here today or not, you know we're all going to die. But that death's either going to be like a sleep where you wake up in the presence of Jesus Christ. Or that death will be and turn thee apart from God. My prayer is that God would awaken each person here to life if he hasn't already. And I pray that with the few days that we have, and the days are few, young people, you're looking going, I got a lot longer to live, but I can tell you the day's coming soon enough where you're going to go, hey, my life went by really quick. It goes fast. And with the days we have, where God has placed us, May we be found faithful to point to Jesus. He's the resurrection. You want to live? He's the life. Trust in Him until He turns. Church, I pray that we be faithful to do that. And if you're here today and you haven't trusted in the Savior, our elders would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. We'd love to sit down and pray with you. And see that you have moved from death to life. Let's pray. God, um, we gather and we talk about sin. It doesn't make us comfortable. That's why many places don't talk about sin anymore, because it hurts. But Lord, all of us know we have sinned. And Lord, we gather and we talk about the consequence of sin, that it leads to death. We all see that our bodies are dying. But Lord, we're headed to an eternity. And that eternity is either in your presence, in your glory with you forever, or that is going to be separated with you forever. And Lord, we long that none should perish in an eternity apart from you to experience a spiritual death that their hearts are so hardened that they're so clinging to the things of this world that they cannot let go. Lord, we pray that you'd awaken them to life as only you can. And Lord, for those of us here today that have trusted you, remind us of the joy of our salvation. Remind us that resurrection is secure in you. Remind us that you are the life. And Lord, until the day that you either return or bring us home into your presence, may we be found faithful. Faithful. To point all who you would place in our path to the Savior Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. Move as only you can, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, church, let's stand and respond to God as we sing in worship.